Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Gray, and this is another episode of the Gray Avenue Podcast. And for those of you who are new to this podcast, the Gray Ave Podcast is one of the top podcasts in South Africa right now. It's coming to you live from Cape Town, South Africa. And it comes to you every week, actually, usually on Mondays. So you guys should def- definitely subscribe to that. And today we definitely have another exciting guest, and that's Ivan on Tech. For those of you who are already like in the blockchain or cryptocurrency space, you're definitely familiar with him. And uh, you guys can definitely notice that in the last couple of ep- episodes, I have been putting a lot more uh, effort or I've been bringing a lot more people from the blockchain and cryptocurrency space because that's merely for a very selfish reason for myself to learn, you know, because I think it's a very exciting um, space with a lot of opportunities. So I'm trying to get into there myself as much as I can and I'm trying to learn on my way in. Uh, which I know there's a lot of interest for it already and definitely some of you out there are also trying to wrap your head around it or to get into it and some of you are already in it. So I hope we learn together and uh, today we're gonna discuss smart contracts which is actually another interesting topic in the blockchain and crypto community as well. And some of you have never heard it before or you probably heard it or you heard of Ethereum but you don't really understand you know what's behind it. So we talk about that today. Uh, basically Ivan is um, a software developer from Sweden uh, and he talks about cryptocurrencies and uh, blockchain technology. He has a YouTube channel which if you're already in crypto uh, you're already familiar with him because the, the good thing about the cryptocurrency space, guys, is that uh, it forces you to learn, you know, because this is a um, this is a very small industry at its infancy. So there isn't a lot more. It's like you have to learn anyway, you know, for you just to be able to manage your assets. If you if you invested in it, it forces you to kind of go out there and shop for, for information in order to make like smart uh, investments or if you're building something on the you know in the space you just have to know what's going on so you probably have ca- come across his channel he's a blockchain expert he has a uh, website about it as well which i'll post all of it in the description and he's also an international blockchain speaker and educator because he goes around the world traveling and all that stuff uh, which I think next week he is going to be in New York, if I'm correct. Uh, so shout out to Ivan and thanks again for coming to my podcast. For all of you guys, thanks for listening. Enjoy this interview. If you haven't subscribed to my podcast, definitely do. Uh, it's the Grey Ave podcast on iTunes. Uh, I'm on SoundCloud. I'm on Stitcher Radio and all these other places. You can definitely check it out. I also just started a YouTube channel to kind of teach a lot of people about... Uh, cryptocurrency to get them on board so you can check it out it's called hardcore crypto and i'm on instagram with the same username hardcore crypto and on twitter hardcore crypto as well if you have any questions feel free to email me through my website it's greyjabesi.com which is g-r-e-y-j-a-b-e-s-i.com you can email me from there and ask any questions or suggestions you can also subscribe to this podcast from there so that's enough talk for today uh, let's get into my conversation with Ivan, guys. Have fun, and I hope you learn something from it. Man, so 
take as uh, just let's start with um, just give a, a brief explanation of who you are for some folks who are not familiar with you with what you do how do you if you go uh, at a dinner or at a party uh-huh. how do you explain yourself <laughs> without getting too complicated yeah, yeah, so uh, my name is Ivan and I run the Ivan on Tech YouTube channel where I talk about cryptocurrencies, blockchain, uh, all of these smart contracts, blockchain projects. And this is my main interest and my main, um, that, that, that's what I do daily, basically, nowadays. But initially, I'm a software developer, I'm an engineer, I have been programming since I was nine years old, and the technology as a whole is also my, my passion. And I got into cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin back in 2013 when we had this amazing bull run up to $1,000, even even 1,200, I think it was. And uh, everyone was talking about it, and that's how I got into it. Uh, and then it, it crashed uh, to <laughs> to like 200 or something uh, in the months after I got in. But that was my first first experience with cryptocurrencies and the blockchain technology, and of course when I when I heard about Bitcoin, it didn't sound it didn't sound legit to me. I didn't really understand how it could work without any central um, central server or, or central uh, entity, and so that is also what what got me interested to really research and uh, and learn how it works um, uh, under the hood. Right. So. Let's just take us back. You said you started programming at age of nine, right? Yeah. Just yes. sh- share a little bit of your childhood. What were you like as a kid? Hmm. Interesting question. <laughs> so I uh, uh, I was very good in school in the early years, uh, and so then uh, I think the what really got me into technology and uh, programming was online gaming, because I gamed a lot with my friends. I played this game called RuneScape. I don't know if you know, but it's an online uh, fantasy game. And we spent a lot of time playing it. But one day I was hacked. So I had no access to my account. And (laughs) I had a lot of uh, spare time because I didn't want to play it anymore. And so my mother got me this um, uh, programming book. It's not really programming. It was an HTML book for building websites. But that is how I got into programming because now I could write this HTML code, I could make websites that, um, uh, and I also improved, uh, improved very fast. So it's, um, in that, in that sense, programming is very addictive because you, you can, uh, there is a small iteration loop, you just uh, type something, you save the file and you can run your program or you can run your website. And so by having this small iteration loop, it's uh, it's very interesting, it's very fun and uh, also a bit addictive. So that is how, how I get into into programming because uh, I could, uh, thing is when I got this HTML book, it said on the cover that uh, you will be able to make websites. So I thought that I would be able to make, you know, Facebook, I would be able to make RuneScape because RuneScape was an in-browser game. It just said you will be able to make websites. But of course, uh, when I finished the book, I could only do some basic things. I could do tables. I could do some some text. And so I had to continue. I had to keep going. So then I jumped to JavaScript. Then I jumped to PHP to do some backend. And from then it just um, accelerated, and I just learned and learned new things. Awesome. So, <laughs> did you manage to get hold of the hacker and maybe deployed something onto him? 
<laughs> thing is that hacker is a very important person in my life because if if it w- w- weren't for that hacker maybe i would still be playing runescape <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> did you even did you ever find out who it was no i i have no idea who that was <laughs> <laughs> okay so how did you then uh, at that point uh, i'm still curious about that stage because i think that's the important edges where people actually it, it has a lot of influence on, on what you become yeah, in life later i agree um so at that point what were you thinking your future would be like what were your aspirations say like you know i want to be this or that what do what did you think you wanted mm-hmm. to do mm. so when i played runescape and i started programming these websites i of course wanted to make my own runescape and i think gaming and making games is one of the most common reasons why teenagers and children start programming because that is the fun software you use as a child you know games and online gaming and uh, of course you want to make your own games but then you realize that there are so many other things you could build as well and that games especially online online games is one of the hardest projects you could you could do and also um, a, a, such a project has a lot of uncertainty uh, if you like will succeed will not succeed uh, and so th- but that is how many children start programming i think to make games and then they discover everything else there is to do and uh, may, then may, they may end up doing something else and also i think nowadays many children start because they want to make uh, apps before the, because they want to make iphone apps for example or android uh, but back in 2006 2005 when i started it was mainly games and your parents, what were they expecting of you? What did they wanted you to become, for example? Mm, I'm not sure. I think they just wanted me to be busy as a child. So now I didn't have RuneScape. They didn't want me to go, you know, hang hang out in the streets uh, with, you know, weird people, weird friends. So <coughs> they were just happy that I uh, I did something productive and learned. Uh, but um, the, I think they wanted me to be uh, either a doctor or an engineer or something like that. But 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 they weren't you know they weren't these strict strict parents. Uh, uh, we read we read this book in high school called The Tiger Mom, and um, it's about a Chinese family in the U.S. and uh, how how strict the mother is in that in that family and uh, how strict parents are in that culture uh, but um, it's it wasn't like that for me at all ah, awesome and what what kind of trouble did you cause back then <laughs> what kind of uh, what trouble what kind of trouble did you cause back then oh cause yeah. uh, i i'm not sure i caused any trouble <laughs> as a child really you're, you're from stockholm uh, man come on man stockholm i know stockholm <laughs> Have you been in Sweden? No, no, no. But uh, I live in Cape Town, so I get um, I do this thing called couchsurfing a lot. And so uh-huh. I've hosted a lot of uh, people from Sweden, Stockholm uh-huh. specifically. So right, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> but so I, the thing is, I'm not originally from Stockholm. I'm from a town called Jönköping, and it's a bit south of Stockholm. And the thing is, the reason why uh, I didn't make my trouble because I was always busy. Because I had, um, besides programming, I uh, I was swimming, and uh, we we had workouts uh, every every day from Monday to Friday, and uh, even 
two sometimes two times a day when we got older and so i just didn't have any <laughs> any time to do something something else except you know go to school go to swimming then go home and and code uh, and so and also all of my friends were in swimming and and we hang out at at our workouts and so therefore um, yeah i don't know I, I i didn't make that travel right so you we have established how you got into cryptocurrencies and then how you got yeah. into programming as well now take us through the jump to like our blockchain what happened Mm-hmm. For you to so get how do you mean? Do you, I mean, for you to get involved in, in, in blockchain at all. What were you doing before that, and what got you interested to actually be, you know, interested in programming on on, on mm-hmm. blockchain projects? Ah, oh, all right. So uh, it it's just a pure interest. I was interested in how Bitcoin worked, and uh, I did um, all the research I could do. Uh, I read different articles. I read the books. I watched YouTube, and um, maybe. One one and a half year ago or so, I um, uh, stumbled upon this idea of uh, decentralized applications and smart contracts. Uh, and um, of course, uh, I, I get really curious, how can I develop these apps? And uh, this is how that interest started, how I started researching <coughs> decentralized applications. How can we code apps that run on many computers with, with, without any central entity? How we can make these decentralized organizations and so on and so forth? And around April, I started just educating people on YouTube about that because I thought it, thought it was really interesting for me. And uh, it turned out that many other people find it interesting as well. And that is how Ivan on Tech really started back in April. Okay, so uh, for the people who are not familiar with the concept of smart contracts, how do you define, how do you explain it to somebody who is not technical, mm-hmm. who never heard of it? Just break it down right. to basic um, description mm, all right so smart contracts are uh, programs are pieces of code running on the blockchain and because they run on the blockchain they are um, decentralized they are running in a decentralized manner what does that mean we can compare it to how centralized applications currently work how centralized internet applications work today because Centralized applications is what we are used to. That is what we're using all the time on the internet. So, for example, Facebook is a decent, is a centralized application because you have a central entity, you have a central company that everyone connects to. In order to use Facebook, you need to connect to Facebook's servers. And um, it is therefore a centralized model because you have all of these clients. For example, your web browser is a client and it needs to connect to Facebook in order to use Facebook. So that is how it currently works. Uh, And on Ethereum, on the other hand, we have decentralized applications, meaning that the code, these smart contracts that uh, that are running on Ethereum, they are not running on a single computer. They are not running on a single server. They are not running by uh, a a couple of servers that is controlled by one corporation or one company. They are running on the blockchain, meaning that uh, all of the computers in the network execute these applications and run these this code. And this has a couple of consequences. Number one is that 
uh, it is um, uh, unstoppable, meaning that there is no one who can just uh, step in and shut down such a decentralized application or a smart contract. Uh, and um, number two is that we do need, don't need to uh, trust each other. The trust is guaranteed by the protocol. What does it mean? It might sound strange that we, we don't need to trust each other, but let's take a look at a specific um, uh, use case, at a specific example. Let's say that you that you want your children to inherit your money. You have you have some kind of funds and you want your children to inherit it. So how would you do it today? You would probably put them in an escrow account. You would probably have some kind of middleman who guarantees that they will take care of this situation and they will give the funds to your children. And so we have a middleman we need to trust. On, uh, on the blockchain and using smart contracts, we can eliminate the middleman, we can eliminate this need for trust. And we could, in this particular use case, write a smart contract that would handle this for us. So a smart contract for this particular use case could look like this, that you can, you can deposit your funds into the smart contract and then maybe once a year, you need to check into the smart contract. You need to log in and verify that you're still, still alive. But if you don't do that for maybe one year or two years, then it would automatically transfer the funds to your ch children. So that is, how, that is an example of how smart contracts can be used to elimin eliminate middlemen and, to, uh, and how decentralized applications could be used on the blockchain. Right. So... I think that's clear. Um, there's obviously a lot of questions on it simply because a lot of people are we used to the centralized model of running mm. uh, contracts. Say, uh, just to make it clear, say I have uh, I have two dogs, for example, mm -hmm. and then uh, let's put it: if I die, I want these two things to happen. Okay, one mm -hmm. should go to Ivan. Uh, and the other one should go to, uh, say, to to a dog house, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I would obviously, you know, find a lawyer to file all these kind of things up. Uh, and alternatively now, on, 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 on the smart contract side of things, it means I don't need those people. I can set up that contract um, on my own and it, that's going to execute when I die, right? So mm -hmm. these, exactly. are these are two different things in terms of we're talking about software and now we're talking about use cases in real life with like physical objects. So mm -hmm. where is the translation between the two? Say, okay, this is a smart contract on a piece of computer. How, where's the link between the actual uh, objects, the physical objects? Mm -hmm. So it's a very good question and uh, that is also one of the big questions. And uh, in my example that I brought up with the inheritance, it was about money, it was about about funds that you could, for example, in, in deposit a, a an amount of Ethereum and then this smart contract would handle it. But in your case, when you have your dogs and you want one dog to go one way and the other dog go other way when you die, uh, I mean, we need to uh, have this uh, connection, as you say, with the real world. And uh, for example, 
in the future, the way I see it, is that more and more legislators, more and more law enforcement, um, um, law, law enforcement would would use smart contracts as um, uh, as law, basically. That smart contracts is what should be enforced by law enforcement. That is how I see the future. But I mean, currently there is we're still lacking this clear connection between the blockchain and the real world, and. Uh, Currently, what we could do is that we can use uh, oracles, uh, not not in your use case when you have two dogs, but for example, let's say that um, I go to school and uh, my parents tell me that, uh, Ivan, if you get um, uh, excellent grades, we will give you this, the, this um, you will, you'll, get, you'll get five ether from us or you'll get some kind of uh, amount of money. So what they could do is that they could program this into a smart contract and the smart contract would in turn query the school server. Basically, they, it would ask the school how, uh, what grade did Ivan receive. But uh, as you can see, it's still, it's still this dependency on a uh, school server. So we need to trust the school server. What we could do is that we can have many such oracles, as we call them. For example, this school server that tells the smart contract my grades, it would be an, a so-called oracle. What we could do is that we can have maybe 10 different oracles uh, that are independent from each other. And this way we could, we could create this link between the real world and, um, and smart contracts. But in your case with the dogs, I think uh, we, need to, we need to come to a point where smart contracts are used by law enforcement. And if we create a smart contract and we sign a smart contract, that it is treated like a normal contract, like a regular old school, old school contract. Absolutely. I was actually waiting for you to get on that point so that we can establish one or two things then for some people who do not understand this. So what it means is just that the smart contract will, will, will act as a representation of um, an actual asset in real life, right? Basically, like how you have your documents, if you have a piece of property, if you have a house, well, uh, you use documents to prove that. So mm -hmm. smart contracts will just come to replace that because then uh, with the fact that they're, you know, they're more secure and you don't mm -hmm. need trust, it will just, it's just going to be more reliable and even, I think, cost less amount of money to maintain them. Right. Yeah, and I think we can uh, we can uh, decrease corruption as well. So, for example, for example, here in Sweden, um, there is a queue to to get um, apartments from the government. And you don't actually get an apartment, but you get a contract to 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 live in a, in an apartment. And, and so we've seen several cases where the government uh, people, the the people who run the queue, basically, put their own friends and relatives in front of the queue. Uh, but that wouldn't be a problem with smart contracts. If a smart contract keeps track of everyone's um, basically queue, placing the queue, and uh, there is no way to trick that contract because it counts everyone's um, queue days, how, for how long you've been in the queue, and it decides who will get the next uh, contract for an apartment. So that is just, just an example. Right. So this now takes us to Ethereum. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people know about Bitcoin and Ethereum. Some of the listeners here, they probably invested in Ethereum already, but not many know what it is. They just think it's kind of a, well, most people know it's a cryptocurrency, but they do not understand what is based on. So just share about Ethereum. What is Ethereum really? 
Mm -hmm. So Ethereum is uh, quite different from Bitcoin, really, and it's a good uh, good point you bring up. Uh, it's not just a copy of Bitcoin with another branding. It has a totally different use case. And Ethereum is uh, basically fuel for decentralized applications. So um, as we talked about smart contracts and decentralized applications, uh, anyone can just publish a decentralized application. I can write some code and publish it on the blockchain. You can write some code and publish it on the blockchain as well. And so uh, this means that um, there is a problem with uh, spammers. What if my application, what if my code is just uh, uh, very, it needs all of the resources in the network? What if I have written some kind of crazy code that just loops in an infinite loop and, um, and just uses all of the resources in the network? And so that is why we need to pay for each instruction our code executes. And that is where Ethereum, the, the currency of Ethereum comes in. In order to execute your smart contracts on the Ethereum platform, you have to spend Ether, depending on how, how, how your code is written and how many instructions you need to execute. So that is where this currency uh, comes into the picture that in order to execute these programs that are decentralized, you need to spend ether, uh, and so that is where the value of this uh, of this currency uh, comes from. Right. So we're talking um, ether. Ether. Ether basically is. Uh, so if you, if you're holding Bitcoin, right, you're holding a piece of say a currency. Mm -hmm. But then if you're holding Ethereum, uh, ether, what are you holding? Yeah, you're holding a token that can be used in order to execute smart contracts. And uh, I mean, currently it is also used as a, a storage of value. And it's basically used as Bitcoin that you can send and receive money in Ethereum. But at, at its core, Ethereum is... Uh, it, so there's a difference between Ethereum and Ether. Ethereum is this platform, is the yes. whole project. And we can write smart contracts and decentralized applications on Ethereum. And in order to execute our smart contracts, we need to spend Ether. And Ether is this currency, is this token that, that we need to have and that we need to spend in order to execute smart contracts on this Ethereum platform. All right. Uh, then uh, another question might show up and say, well, so... Oh, let me just give you another uh, analogy here. I like to, when I'm trying to explain this to somebody who has no idea what it is, I like to say, well, if Bitcoin, think of Bitcoin as a website, then mm -hmm. think of Ethereum as WordPress. Is that a good analogy, you think? Where the, yeah, you, I you, think, can build, you yeah. can build other websites from it instead as well. Yeah, exactly. So theoretically, you could build a Bitcoin clone that will be running on Ethereum. That, I mean, you could you could build a currency on Ethereum, and that is what we see with all of these uh, ERC twenty tokens that they are just different uh, different uh, cryptocurrencies, different tokens that have different use cases, but they're all running on Ethereum. So it's it it is a good is a, a good parallel and comparison that using Ethereum you could build whatever basically that will run in this decentralized way. Right, and who can use? Who can take advantage of Ethereum? Say, who besides uh, institutions and corporations or governments, can anyone take use of Ethereum? Like you and me, create our own contract and get it to run there. Say, look, we have uh, we have X amount of 
Bitcoin and we want this and this to happen. Say every second quarter, you and I mm -hmm. should get a split of that Bitcoin. That's something mm -hmm. that we, you and me can do on Ethereum, right? Yeah, if we convert our Bitcoin to Ether and uh, we are able to program this code, then yeah, we, we can we can do any logic basically. Uh, we could do this example as you say, or we could do an inheritance uh, smart contract. And as long as we know how to code this, this uh, this this is possible. However, the the challenge is of course coding it, and uh, we will see. I think this might be a whole new industry for for lawyers. That uh, uh, if I come to you with a smart contract and we have agreed on something just um, we've just um, you know spoken to, to each other and we've agreed on something and now i come with my smart contracts and i tell you that uh, look here i have implemented our agreement in this code how are you able to verify it you need to be uh, either a solidity developer yourself uh, or we would need to get some kind of lawyer that can take a look at the code so i think the profession of lawyers will be very interesting to follow going into the future and i think lawyers i think lawyers will will, will need to learn how to code and how these um, smart contracts work because i mean it, it will be it will be a, an interesting issue because if two parties need to agree on a smart contract and one party doesn't know how how the code works and um, they don't know how how ethereum works how solidity works they will need a lawyer basically to check this the contract Wow, lawyers better step up the game, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I think exactly. the future is gonna be way more exciting. But what are they in your experience so far? What are some some of the use cases that are starting to work already that you're like amazed by? Like, oh wow, that's that, that's pretty interesting. So the number one use case of Ethereum currently is fundraising and ICOs. That is that is what it's used for nowadays. And I think it's, I mean, fundamentally, it's a revolutionary uh, idea, really, that you can publish your own token and people can invest in your company, in your project, uh, in your idea by purchasing your tokens. And then by having your tokens maybe these people will get some kind of vote, voting right in your decentralized organization or they may maybe some other get some other rights in your decentralized organization and this brings us to decentralized organizations and that is what i think is the most important use case of ethereum long term we haven't seen that much use case of decentralized organizations yet but uh, going forward i think it could really revolutionize many aspects of our lives and a decentralized organization is basically a program it's a decentralized application running on ethereum but for example if i have my decentralized organization and you have my tokens you might be able to get voting rights you might be able to get some yes different um, kinds of rights that i have programmed into my decentralized organization so you can think of it as uh, uh, if I do an ICO, if I receive tokens, if I if I publish tokens and you will be able to buy them from me, you are basically buying shares. And I think we'll see we'll see companies actually releasing their shares on the blockchain because it's so much easier to to transfer, to buy, and to use them on the blockchain. That you can actually you know log into a website. This website will 
will recognize that you have these tokens in your wallet and um, you will be able to vote on different proposals. For example, you will be able to elect new members um, of the board, for example. Uh, and so this is how I see the future of this decentralized movement that is going on and that uh, decentralized organizations are going to be a big part of the future. Absolutely. And now let's talk about gas and say Ether or gas and um, NEO. Uh, and let's just establish the um, the idea that Neo is kind of the Ethereum of China. You can also you can use Neo to build your uh, smart contracts to run your smart contracts on, right? Yeah, uh, I mean we have done some videos on my channel about Neo, and I think it's still a bit too early to compare those two. Uh, I I think Neo has potential. To, to develop and uh, just grow and grow and grow. But currently, I wouldn't, uh, it's still hard to compare those two because Neo is still in, a, in, an early, in an early phase compared to Ethereum, both when it comes to community and also to, to the actual you know, code and um, to the actual engineering part of things. All right, so I, I, I just wanted to use that to segue into uh, gas because that's also one thing that, uh, it's a little bit confusing to the community. You know, people don't really understand what gas is. Uh, it's like, okay, now I've got Ethereum, but now you, what, you also talk about gas. So this actually came to, into question to a lot of people when uh, Neil, I think they put up the gas on the exchange as well. You can exchange, I think, Neo gas and, you know, uh, as a token. Mm -hmm. Just break down what gas is and wh why is it different? Why is it, um, why is it disconnected to the actual platform or like mm -hmm. the, the currency, the cryptocurrency of, of the yeah. platform? So what I can talk about is the gas used in Ethereum. And the, the reason why we have gas is to eliminate this, um, mm, this problem we might face with the price of an Ether. Because as we, as we mentioned, in order to execute smart contracts, you need to pay for, for each instruction in your smart contract. And uh, different instructions have different gas prices. But if we wouldn't have gas and we would just have Ether prices instead, and one day Ether, the, the price of an Ether just goes through the roof, suddenly everyone's contracts is very, very expensive to execute because one Ether is now maybe, you know, twice as much in dollars as it was yesterday. And so therefore we have this other concept of gas and then we can, uh, in a decentralized manner, also decide how much Ether one gas is worth. So... Uh, to summarize, it, it the gas is used in order to eliminate this problem we might face if the price of an ether suddenly goes up a lot or goes down a lot. All right. So, if so, are you saying that the price of Ethereum, or say the mm -hmm. price of ether, does not affect the price of gas? So. Um, for example, there are different instructions that a smart contract can execute. And uh, it is uh, decided in the code how much gas each instruction is costing. And this is written in the code that, for example, instruction A costs this much, instruction B costs this much gas. And 
the reason why we do not want to write that in ether, because we could write that instruction A costs one ether, instruction B costs two ether, is because then we would have a direct connection to the to the market price of an ether. And then we, if the ether suddenly explodes in price, we would need to go back and change in the code all of these prices of instructions. So what we have instead is that we have the prices written in gas. So it says instruction one costs this much gas, instruction two costs this much gas. And then the network in a decentralized way decide how much each gas, gas is worth in ether. So we do not need to change these uh, these prices that we have in the code for each operation, for each instruction. Instead, we need to agree on the current price of gas in ether and that is done decentrally so this different nodes in the network are deciding on this price um, as we as we go along as the price of uh, ether is changing on the markets when i got into cryptocurrencies my mm -hmm. worry was that okay uh this is early technology at this point uh mm -hmm. people are investing a lot of money and i mean i have i hold a few tokens myself uh, in different cryptocurrencies, some Bitcoin and all these others. But what's going to happen when I die? So I, I thought to myself, like, okay, this is an industry built, built by smart people. Why is it that at this point we haven't thought about inheritance of these cryptocurrencies? Like, or at least advise in, in a way, say, look, if you die, how are your family members going to get hold of your tokens because you might find that in your family you're the only one who actually know about cryptocurrencies mm -hmm. you know or the, the keys and all these kind of things are quite complicated for some people so why isn't there like a an inheritance contract that's free running that anybody can use out there and what do you think that's going to be as an as a consequence over time of uh, people passing away and the private keys are basically lost you mean yeah yeah of saying like what, what's going to happen then you know if you if you die and you have 10,000 ether nobody knows mm -hmm. about it then what right and so if no one can find the private key they, they are lost <laughs> yeah forever see. basically yeah so that would uh, and it's a waste of resources it's totally a waste of resources over time it would increase the price of ether because the supply is now is now lower but yeah, I think inheritance is a very good use case and we will definitely see user-friendly versions of that smart contract. Maybe some, maybe countries will have this on their, you know, government website that you can go to, uh, to the government websites and you have the smart contract running and you can deposit your Ether or you can deposit your, maybe it will be a special token for this use case. And then you can specify which addresses should get this um, your funds when you when you die and then you check in every two years or, or every every year to let the smart contract know that you are alive and after that the funds just go to your children or to someone else that you have specified but that also means that your children the people who will receive the funds need to have access to those addresses that you specify and so you, it's a it's a good point you make that it is still not very user friendly. And if someone loses their private key, there's no customer support. There's no there's no one who can save and uh, you know take back these funds from that account. And so this is a uh, a 
a problem with user friendliness on the blockchain, that everyone is in charge of their private keys. And this gives you control. This gives you, in a, in a way, freedom, but it also gives you responsibility. And you need to make sure that you, you have access to your private keys. Right. So I can't help but jump now into Bitcoin because a lot of heads listening to this, they're like, well, when, when are they, these guys going to jump into Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> because as we speak, Bitcoin is about um, $5,700 or so, probably a little less today. Um, you, you said you got in, involved first with Bitcoin, <laughs> you invested and it went down. That was your first experience. Yeah. yeah. So, f so far now, how far have you gone and where do you see Bitcoin going? And what was the perception of people at that time? And, you know, with the, you say it went down to like 200 later, mm -hmm. later on. What were the hopes or what were like the resistance from other people at the time and what have you seen as a change and what do you think has influenced that change quicker mm -hmm. so when when bitcoin was at 1000 when i would just get into it in 2013 yeah. everyone was of course of course very optimistic and this is a new paradigm everyone was very excited however when it started going down everyone just started talking about how bitcoin is a failed experiment this will never work how could this ever like how could you ever think that this will, would work and that was a very good lesson for me because that is exactly when you should when you should be acting and when you should invest in uh, uh, when you should have invested in bitcoin when everyone was just negative because nothing uh, will just uh, keep going down and down forever and so this is a lesson I learned from from that crash that when people are negative, it might be a good time to to invest. And also, I, I like this quote by Warren Buffett that be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. And so that if I just knew that quote back then, <laughs> I would have acted. But I was I was just too too unexperienced and too young at that age. Uh, I was still in high school. And I didn't uh, use this uh, opportunity with the crash. Uh, but yeah, the general sentiment was that this is a failed experiment and this will never work. And only maybe three, three years ago, uh, or yeah, two, two years ago that things started to change and new people discovered Bitcoin. And now we have this amazing bull run again. But for a couple of years, we had this Bitcoin winter where it just a huge bear market and uh, no one was really interested and no one was really talking about that. Did you sell after that, after that crash? You're like, oh, no, I'm stuck. Yeah, sell, I mean, the thing, thing is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I invested. I <laughs> I put maybe $500 in it just for fun because I, would st I was still in high school. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I sold when the crash happened because... Uh, uh, because I wasn't an experienced investor, <laughs> but now I know better. Awesome. And now, um, what do you think is, because, man, there's a, a lot happening out there. Mm -hmm. uh, Lambos are being bought. I mean, there's uh, this, yeah. this meme or trolling about Lambos in, the, in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. But my man, Peter, uh, bites us Bitcoin, just bought a Lambo last week. Mm -hmm. um, I did a podcast with him for the people listening. You can check you can check it out just the previous two podcasts was with uh, him i think mm -hmm. so what do you think is gonna happen now man it's like 
Uh, there have been a, a bull run, obviously, and there's a lot of uh, institutional interest. Mm-hmm. And n- with that also comes a lot of uh, question to incentives to like the miners and other people involved. So do you think we're going to see a lot more forks? Or do you think this is actually the forks might just be going to an end? Because I mean, we had Bitcoin Cash and in two weeks from now, we're having another fork and there are rumors of another fork later on after that in November, which the big, I saw a post that the Bitcoin community is kind of resistance to that. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to fork, I mean, anyone can do a fork. So the more forks Bitcoin survives, the more, I think the more strength it has that by, by surviving these forks and by experiencing these forks, um, Bitcoin is just stronger as a community because currently people might be worried that what will happen to Bitcoin, what if um, this forking madness just continues. But in reality, forks are just, um, I mean, it's a natural part of the blockchain sphere and they are very easy to to do. I mean, I could, I could snapshot Bitcoin blockchain, you could do it as well. Uh, and we could just create our own fork of Bitcoin. And so personally, I'm not that worried about these forks. Uh, and um, it's um, it's also the spirit of the open source community that if you don't like how Bitcoin is built currently, you can uh, make your own fork and you can uh, change it and you can develop your own coin. That being said, it doesn't mean that the real Bitcoin will suffer from that. What is dangerous, though, uh, are the replay attacks. And so I think... Uh, I think when you are forking Bitcoin, that it should be a responsibility really for you to add replay protection and uh, really make sure that replay attacks won't happen. Uh, and so that is the number one issue I see with forks that people might be sending coins on one blockchain on one uh, on one ledger, and then these same transactions might be replayed on the other blockchain. And so. Uh, and that is the main main issue I see with the forks. But long term, uh, I, I do not think that uh, forks will just uh, stop because anyone can do them. And if someone has their own ideas for Bitcoin, they will fork and no one is stopping them from doing so. Right. And just share a little bit about uh, Sweden and Bitcoin. Is there any regulation, regulation or interest by the government or so mm-hmm. i think um, the governments all over the world including sweden are realizing that cryptocurrencies uh, is something they need to they need to learn and they will have to to adopt and to I- incorporate into their um, law- laws and how society really works but currently it is still very early <laughs> when it comes to these issues and the government and i haven't seen much uh, uh, much activity going on, but uh, Swedish tax authorities have a website basically explaining how Bitcoin should be uh, declared dec- in the, um, yeah in your income declaration, things like that. But um, uh, the way I see the future is that, for example, in Sweden, they would uh, the authorities would basically tell us that register your Bitcoin addresses here on our tax website and then you're free to use Bitcoin however you like, because then we can monitor your income. Uh, So maybe we'll see something like that in the future. But currently um, there is not that much going on when it comes to 
governments and uh, authorities. But how do they see it as an asset? Do you have to declare your Bitcoin? Uh, yes, yeah, so I mean, it, it was very funny that uh, uh, only a hundred or so people declared it. I declared it last year, and uh, the ta t tax authorities came out and and said that they're going to uh, to be more serious about this, and they they will try to hunt people down. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think it's an asset currently that you and you uh, you have to pay the increase in value, like the tax on that. And from from a, a technical point of view, how do you think would be their their approach or like the right ap approach to go with this? Because if you say submit your your addresses, mm -hmm. well, I can just have multiple addresses on multiple wallets. Yeah. So what they could do is that they could, for example, just tell everyone that uh, you if you use Bitcoin, you need to register your addresses. Otherwise, it is not uh, uh, is is not legal. But then how would how would how would you stop people from just creating and how would you practically monitor? I, I have no idea. <laughs> I think it will be very hard. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a serious problem for them, not us. Mm, you know, exactly. to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and uh, let's just jump quickly to a couple of questions that came through from other people. Mm -hmm. This is my man Kiko. He says, "What are your thoughts on Ethereum's upcoming Byzantium fork?" So it is, it's more of a technical fork, and um, it's just updates and improvements to the protocol, and we don't see any resistance against that. It's not like a group within Ethereum is against this fork, so I think we'll we'll barely notice it at all. All right, and thoughts on Arcs, smart bridges, and if their roadmap is realistic. He's talking about Arc, the cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. Arc. I'm I'm not following the Arc project, unfortunately. So I I cannot oh. I cannot speak about Arc. And any explanation of Tango and IOTA? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there has been this um, situation with IOTA with MIT and their encryption uh, encryption issues, and uh, I think we'll still have to see how how all of these game theoretic concepts play out, and uh, how how Tangle will work in real life when we have uh, people using the network. And so I think it's a it's a good innovation, and I think it's good that people are trying to innovate the concept of the blockchain and instead use something different in order to tackle this um, scalability issue. But uh, it, whenever you have a network, whenever you have all of these game theoretic um, uh, aspects of the network, we'll just have to see how how it runs, how their testnet is performing and uh, they i think they really need to test it thoroughly and show show the world that um, the concept is is working right and here's another question from mario valetti from south africa he says you clearly seem to be bright and confident but uh, seems to be getting involved in all sorts of things between your programming growing youtube channel slack Bitcoin pub or the crypto pub mm -hmm. uh, and speaking at various events so how would be interesting interesting to know how you actually sit down and plan your upcoming week for example oh so uh, it's very interesting question because my load my workload 
is really growing exponentially. So currently I have my very good friend Eric who's helping me out. And what I basically do is that I, I do a list of the most important things I need to do. For example, I need to do YouTube videos. I have a lot of ideas that I have in the backlog and I really prioritize YouTube as the number one uh, thing on my agenda because I think that is that is so exciting doing videos and I have so much so many videos coming up uh, and then I just try to to do as as many things as possible without uh, without really feeling that I'm burning burning out and I and that I will uh, uh, I, I'm thinking long term that I cannot overwork I need to uh, I, I, I want to do this long term for many years and so therefore I try to keep a balance, I try to work out, I try to not work too much. But uh, as you uh, as you mentioned, it's just so many exciting things going on. And I'm going to be in New York in two weeks and then uh, in Oslo next week. And uh, it's going to be two conferences in Stockholm and then in Singapore and then in Florida. So many exi- exciting things going on. And I'm really thankful that I'm able to do this really. It's, uh, it's amazing. Awesome. And let's just talk a little bit of investment, then we can end it there. Um, What is your favorite coin based off its tech, not necessarily financial gain? Do you mean based on the use case? um, Yes, and the technology. hmm, Interesting. So unfortunately, my answer will be very boring because uh, I am um, mostly interested in the big ones, in Bitcoin and Ethereum. And um, the reason I, uh, I think so is because if some coin... Uh, many coins are basically coins on Ethereum. They are tokens on top of the Ethereum platform. And so if, if some coin succeeds, it means that the Ethereum will succeed as well. The Ether coin will succeed as well because that other coin is running on top of the Ethereum platform. So by having Ethereum, I just think that you are automatically uh, you, you are automatically betting on all of these different projects in the long run that are built on top of Ethereum. And this is how I reason when it comes to to that. And also when Ethereum is switching to proof of stake instead of proof of work, uh, you will be able to get dividends on your Ethereum as well. Uh, And so therefore I like Ethereum more as an investment due to these these facts. And that is how I reason. And also we have many other experimental projects such as NEO and others that are in their only uh, early stages and they might become more interesting in the future for me. But currently the, the, the coins I like the most are Bitcoin and Ethereum just because by betting on Ethereum you're betting on so many other coins as well and uh, and Bitcoin is the, the biggest and the most famous cryptocurrency that many new people will will buy when they get into cryptocurrencies. And uh, uh, also Bitcoin has this huge advantage when it comes to marketing, when it comes to getting the word out. And in the cryptocurrencies, we see this concept of, um, of long tail, meaning that Bitcoin is by far the largest cryptocurrency. Uh, when it comes to market cap and then we have um, then we have ethereum which is only a third of the market cap and then we have ripple which is only a third of the of ethereum's market cap so we have this exponential long tail with bitcoin being uh, very large ethereum is is um, only a third and ripple is only a third of ethereum and it just goes exponentially uh, downwards with all of the other coins and there are really you no know, thousands of coins nowadays 
right uh, we share the same thought on ethereum as well i'm putting too much source on ethereum even though i get bashed by some people who don't like it they're like oh ethereum has no some people have problems with it so i'm like i have the same reasoning as you i said mm-hmm. if it's hosting hosting all these cryptocurrencies and projects mm-hmm. it just means that even only if a few works and do it quite bigger it just means that ethereum value will just go up you know yeah exactly and um the biggest lesson learned from investing in crypto i would say is the lesson from 2013 and uh, how it really ties to warren buffett's quotes that you um you should be you should be fearful when others are greedy and you should be greedy when others are fearful uh, because i really experienced this um, firsthand how everyone was negative and you know cryptocurrencies will never succeed it's a failed project failed experiment this would never work and now a couple of years later we see uh, that uh, no it can uh, the positivity will will be back and i think it it is like this with um, many different um, investment um, areas that uh, whenever it goes down everyone is suddenly very negative but it will not be that like that forever Right. Um, now, let me just ask you a question from a personal experience right now, what I'm dealing with. I work on projects and uh, I, I like to get paid in cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. And what, what what happens is sometimes I would be getting paid and Bitcoin is on the deep, right? Yeah. And sometimes I put in a, a fixed rate on something and then the project is done. I need to get paid, say, the, the last 50% of the project. And by that time, Bitcoin price is high. So on your reasoning, would you rather wait until it goes down to get paid from the project or are you still just going to take it anyway? Mm-hmm. Because you charge you charged on based on fiat. Yeah, yeah. But you just get paid in Bitcoin because it's like, you know, it just makes sense to me. I mean, it depends if you have some kind of deal and uh, this deal might get called if you do not take the payment immediately, then it might be uh, it might be a good idea to just take the payment as soon as possible so we have the customer. But if your if your employer or if your uh, customer can wait, maybe <laughs> maybe you can uh, you can do it your way instead that you wait for a dip. But I mean, it depends on on the person paying you if they're willing to to wait for a dip. Or how would you how how would you set this situation up? You would basically tell them that. Uh, uh, can can I get paid next week? Is that how you're thinking about it? Yeah, I'm thinking something like that. Like maybe after the 25th, <laughs> because now I'm like, if I get paid now and I'm anticipating a little bit of a dip, I mean, this run has just been very bullish mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. But man, thanks. This was amazing. Thanks for, for taking your time on being for being on my, on my podcast, actually. Thank you so much, Gray. Thank you for inviting me. It was very nice meeting you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. So that was my conversation with Ivan. And I hope you definitely enjoyed and learned something from it. Look, for, Feel free to check out his videos and his websites, which are all in the description. Or you can just Google him, Ivan on Take. And remember to subscribe to this podcast as well, you know, so that we can keep in touch. I'll definitely send you... Uh, new podcast notifications as soon as they're out there. So you can either do it from uh, uh, from iTunes or you can do it from my website and wherever. It's just the same trick, man. Just have to subscribe and you're going to keep in the loop. 
Okay, if you have any questions, feel free to email me or if you have something to say or somebody you would want to suggest that I interview or you just want to say hi or you want to meet up for a beer or a coffee, I'm definitely up for connecting all the time. Okay, until next time, I, my name is Gray and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you.